You may or may not have noticed, I didn't get in this pulpit with the same vigor that I usually do. Well, it seems Friday I was standing here at this door, and the phone rang in the office. And I made a sudden turn to go to the office, and my knee objected to that severely. And so I have to be a little more ginger climbing steps today than I would a week ago. I was telling someone my sad story, and this person said, Well, preacher, you need to understand that your age, there's just no such thing as a sudden movement. This person used to be a friend of mine. The gospel according to Mark differs in one very important way from Matthew and Luke. Mark does not give us an account of the birth of Christ. And Mark does not give us the announcement of the angels. Mark opens with the ministry of John the Baptist. Mark tells us that John baptized in the wilderness. He was preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. People were going out from all of Judea and Jerusalem, and they were being baptized. Now, the interesting thing is that this John, as we know him, was what we would call a country preacher. Mark tells us he was clothed in camel's hair. His diet was primarily locust and wild honey. But this backwoods preacher could do one thing, and that is he could draw a crowd. And John was also telling those people there was someone coming who was greater than he was. And that someone was Jesus. And Mark tells us that John, or that Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan so John could baptize him. And after his baptism, we're told that Jesus went out into the wilderness to be tempted. He was tempted for 40 days. He was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. And all of that is told in 13 short verses. Well, following this opening third of the chapter, there are three additional paragraphs in Mark chapter 1. And I want us to focus on those this morning. Because those three additional paragraphs in Mark chapter 1 suggest for us the ministry of Jesus Christ. If you look at Mark chapter 1 and verses 14 and 15, that's the first of those paragraphs. And it's only two short verses. Now, after that John was put to prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent you and believe the gospel. 
First of all, Jesus came into the world to proclaim a message. Jesus did not come into this world merely to live a life, even though that was certainly important. Jesus came to tell the world something that the world did not know. Something the world could not know until Jesus revealed it. And His message, folks, it was a message of truth. It was a message of salvation. And had Jesus not brought that message, then there would be no salvation. So Jesus preeminently brought a message of good news. In fact, that's why we call it the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. Because what Jesus brought was something most needed by mankind. Granted, our physical needs are important. They're very significant. It's important for folks to know how to raise better crops, how to use land more efficiently. It's important to know how to carry on business affairs and family affairs. But the message that Jesus brought That's the message mankind most needed to hear. You think of all the things that are discussed in newspapers, the things that are on the Internet, the things that are on television. Think of the literal overflow and inundation of information we have today. There is nothing Absolutely nothing in this world as important as the story of Jesus. The good news about how to become a Christian, about how to be saved, about how to go to heaven when we die. I've said this so many times and I'll say it again and again and again and as long as there's breath in my body. I wish, I wish that we could make Jesus real, more real to the world around us. I wish that we could make Jesus more real to those who belong to the church, those who have belonged to the church and left the church. There is no deeper yearning that somehow this message that Jesus came to proclaim might appear as important as it really is in the hearts of every man and woman on the top side of God's green earth today. Did you notice in the passage I just read? Did you notice the urgency and the immediacy of that passage? Jesus does not say anything about the past. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent you and believe the gospel. 
it would have been legitimate for Jesus to trace the history that led to that moment. But He doesn't say anything about the past. And He doesn't say anything in that passage about the future. And yet the Gospel points to a wonderful future for Christians in that world that is to come. But Jesus doesn't mention the future. He doesn't mention the past. What Jesus does do is emphasize the present because there's an urgency about it. There's an immediacy to it. He came preaching the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Oh, my. How I wish that I knew the way to cause every person that I come in contact with to feel the urgency of accepting Jesus and living for Jesus. I wish I knew how to cause those who have accepted Him and walked away from Him to feel the urgency of living for Him. Not sometime, not tomorrow, but today, right now. Because you know what? There is no guarantee of tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. And Jesus in that passage emphasizes the present tense. But now look at verses 16 through 20. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come you after me, and I'll make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he'd gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after Jesus. Jesus came to call individuals. In that paragraph we read of Jesus calling four individual men. You see, Jesus Christ was a great leader. He didn't come to stand off in a corner with the good news that He brought. And Jesus didn't come to, to live His life in seclusion. He came to bring joy to the lives of people. Because you see, there's a penetrating quality about Jesus. Jesus was not someone that you could ignore. He was like salt. And in that Sermon on the Mount, later on, Jesus is going to call you and me to be salt. He's going to call on us to be the salt of the earth. And salt is something you can't ignore. If there's salt in your food... You know it immediately. And if it's not there, you know that too. 
That's why if you have an egg white, you have to salt it. Because Job said, is there any taste in the white of an egg? Don't believe me. Look it up. It's in Job. I promise. You've got to have that salt. And Jesus wants us to be the salt of the earth. And Jesus was the salt of the earth. And wherever Jesus went, His presence was felt. But the emphasis I see in this passage is that Jesus called people. His movement. The movement that Jesus started was not just a great movement in the aggregate. Jesus called individual people to come to Him, to follow Him, and to work with Him. So as a result, Simon and Andrew left their boat and followed Him. And as Jesus went a little further down the Sea of Galilee, He saw James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and He called them. And he said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they did it and they did it immediately. You see, when Jesus calls folks to come, he wants them to come now, immediately. Have you ever really thought and have you ever really felt the personal element that exists throughout the Word of God? This entire book is written in terms of the individual. In the Old Testament, it was Joseph and Abraham and Daniel and David. In the New Testament, preeminently, it's Jesus. He was a person. He walked here. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He fed the multitudes. He made the lame to walk. Jesus was always a person Himself. He was real. The appeal of God is always in terms of the individual. When the Gospel was preached to the Gentiles, it was through a person. It came through Paul the great apostle to the Gentiles. I have no idea how tall Paul was. I don't know if he was five foot five or six foot six. I don't know if he weighed 175 pounds or 300 pounds. I don't know if he had a great shock of hair or if he was bald-headed. I have no idea how Paul looked. But I can by an eye of faith, almost see Paul as he walked into Athens. I can see him as he moves over to Corinth, and I can see him while he's a prisoner in Rome. Paul was a person. Paul was an individual. God sends individuals to carry His gospel, just like He sent a person to bring the gospel into the world. The other side of that is that God is interested in persons. God is interested in the individual. None of us wants to be just 
a number. We want to be a person. None of us wants to be dealt with. Could you give me the last four of your social, please? I get so sick of hearing that. We want to be dealt with as people. When we realize that in this country of ours, there are more than 300 million people, it can sometimes be a bit overwhelming. It can sometimes make us feel just a little bit insignificant. I can turn on the television and I can see Donald Trump and Mike Pence. I can also sometimes see others that I'm not even going to mention their names. But I can turn on the television and I can see Donald Trump and Mike Pence. And if either one of them walked in that door right now, I'd know who they were. They hadn't got a foggiest idea of who I am. They don't even know I exist. Which is fine with me because that way I don't get fundraising letters from them, you say. But let me tell you something. Donald Trump may not know I exist. Mike Pence may not know I exist. And thank goodness Robert Mueller doesn't know I exist. But when I read the Bible, I learn that God knows the number of hairs on my head. And He has to keep up with fewer and fewer every day. But when I know that God knows the number of hairs on my head, you know something, folks? That's when I feel like I'm somebody. I don't care if nobody in Washington, D.C. or Austin, Texas or anywhere else knows who I am. God in heaven knows me. And that is all that matters. When I read in this book that I'm made in the image of God, that I'm a soul that will live on through eternity, then I can stand up straight, I can hold my head upright. And what some politician or government operative somewhere thinks doesn't really matter. God knows who I am. God knows my name. He doesn't need the last four of my social. And I'm important to God. Don't ever forget that. One of the most wonderful things about Jesus Christ coming to this earth was that it was personal. Jesus called individuals. Beloved, there is a wonderfully practical point here. We preach from the pulpit. We support works that preach the gospel on radio and television. Sermons preached in this pulpit are available on the internet through our website and on iTunes. And pretty soon you'll be able to tune to a podcast for a totally separate sermon of evangelistic nature that's going to be put on by this congregation. We're trying every way possible to preach the gospel to a world that's lost and dying in sin. But the chief way that the gospel has always been spread 
is from person to person through individuals. Here's a man or a woman who believes in the Lord. And that belief spills over into the life of a child or a companion. It spills over into the life of a neighbor or someone they work with. The spreading of the gospel is organic and it's person to person. And the question is, does that have any implication to those of us who are Christians? God's whole plan for spreading the gospel is for individual Christians to carry the good news of Jesus in person. Jesus selected men and Jesus trained those men. Yet how many have we told about Jesus Christ in the past week, the past month, or the past year? Or more importantly, what kind of things do we say about the church and about each other? Do we talk about each other in, in ways that make somebody else want to be a part of the church? I'm thankful for something. And I'm going to say this. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. I'm thankful for our Bible class teachers. I try to tell them every week just how much I appreciate them. And if you've not walked in their shoes, you have no idea what life is like for them. Every Lord's Day. Scott and those other ladies, I mean Scott and the ladies, they come every Lord's Day prepared to teach a Bible class. They've studied, they're ready, they're prepared. More often than not, there's no class to teach. But when 9.45 comes down this hallway over here, you'll find them standing in front of their classrooms, ready, prepared, ready to be open for business. They've never said this to me in words, but I've got enough sense to know that it gets awfully discouraging for them. You bet it gets discouraging. But they're there. Every Lord's Day. They persevere. From time to time, walk up to one of them and tell them you appreciate them. That you appreciate their efforts. That you appreciate their attitudes. And then, every now and then, invite someone to come to Bible class that they might be able to teach. Jesus came for individuals. And in Mark chapter 1, and beginning there in verse 21, And they went to Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day He entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at His doctrine. 
For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame was spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and they told him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered to them. You see, Jesus came. He came to teach He came for individuals and He came to show compassion to those in need. Here's a man possessed of an evil spirit. Jesus cast that evil spirit out and gave the man normalcy again. A woman sick of a fever and Jesus raised her up and she was well again. Wherever Jesus went, He healed people that were lame. People that were blind received their sight. People that were deaf were made to hear again. He had compassion on people. And He healed people. And it was by that compassion that Jesus won their hearts. When you fill a hungry stomach, that individual is a lot more disposed to listen to you as you tell them about Jesus Christ. When you put a coat on a back that's cold and you Open doors to a heart. You put clothes on a cold back. You open a door to a heart. And they'll listen to the good news that will save their souls. One of the great principles demonstrated in the life of Jesus was this. If you want people to trust you. If you want people to accept your motives as pure and wholesome rather than designing and selfish, help them. Help the sick. Help the hungry. Help the distraught. Help the hurting. And the gratitude will overflow. And they'll be more disposed to listen when you tell them how their soul can be saved. Here are three simple works of Jesus. And they're not just works of Jesus, they're our work. He came to proclaim a message. He was a teacher and a preacher. Every one of us, in private or in public, ought to be preaching the Word of God. He was a leader. His wonderful ambitions and ideals and attitudes of faith and trust in God spilled over into the lives of those around Him. We must be leaders for Jesus. Jesus loved people. 
And He did for them what they needed. If there's sickness in a home, we can supply comfort and food and care. If somebody's discouraged, we can supply an encouraging word. Jesus had three great purposes. We wear His name and we are His. We have the same three great purposes. To proclaim the gospel, to call people, and to do good. It's His invitation as we stand and while we sing.